Now, if you'll please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, Brother Jeff Hawkrider will read from that scripture. Reading is from chapter 22 of Matthew. It's going to be verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It is good to be here with everybody. It's good to have our visitors once again. You'll hear that again in just a few moments after I'm done. You will hear a greeting to you as visitors as well and singing. Uh, singing was beautiful, and we pray that it was beautiful to God. And we know when we're lifting our voices, it's it's a it's an aroma. It's a it's a, a very beautiful aroma to Him. Several years ago, I was given a book about what children need to know from their fathers. I think at that time I only had three children, but one of them was a daughter. And it was very important for me to, uh, to, to find out what they needed to know from me. And there were sons involved. What do sons need to know from their father? They need to know that, I, that from me that I love them unconditionally. That's what they need to know from their fathers. I'm proud of you. I am so proud of you. It's okay to be afraid. And I've got your back. I am behind you 100%. Our sons need to hear that. They need to hear a father feel those things and express those things. What about daughters? I love you unconditionally, no matter what. You cannot take my love from you. Nothing that you can do will take my love from you. You are beautiful, so beautiful, inside and out. I will protect you. I will protect you, and I will provide for you. Those are things that our children need to hear from us fathers. I want to take it to a spiritual level. What does God want us to know? What does our heavenly father want us to know? And I'm going to talk about that. God doesn't whisper information to me or you. He doesn't talk into our ear to, to let us know what he knows. He's already told us what he wants us to know. He's given us the scriptures, the Bible. He's already told us in his word. And so this morning, I want to spend some time, just a few moments, looking at some things in the scriptures, just a few things that the Bible says God wants us to know. This isn't an exhaustive list, obviously. We don't have time for that. But we're going to look at five things. And the first thing is he loves us. He loves us. With all his heart, with, with all of him, he loves us. It's important for us to understand, important for us to know that our parent, our Father in heaven, is crazy about us. I was thinking about this idea of God 
writing to us and letting us know how much he loves us. And I was thinking about parents who just want their children to know that they love them. And then I was thinking about parents who have gone on, who have died and, um, and expressed their love to their children before they died, before they passed. And I found some letters. I found some letters from parents, dying parents to their children. And I want to look at one of them in particular, that middle one. And I'm just going to read a few uh, parts of this. Christopher, it's to Christopher. Christopher was three years old when his father died of pancreatic cancer. And his dad wrote this letter. And it's, it's quite a long letter. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. But he wrote, the time, the time that I spend with you was wonderful and enjoyable time in my life. And you helped make it that way. And this letter is very hard for me to write because I keep starting to cry, knowing that I will not be here when you're reading this. And the sadness keeps overwhelming me and tears are flowing down my face. You are a beautiful and smart boy and I wish you all the luck and good fortune a person could ever want or need. I'm sitting here typing this letter to you. You're right next to me, shooting your bow and arrow that you got yesterday at Storybook Land. And then Christopher, please just always remember that I love you. I love you more than anything in this world. You are my life. I love you. And goodbye, son. And those letters that I found, and these are just three of them, and I found several of them. Those letters that I found had something in common. The desperate need for a parent to let their children know that they are loved and that they love them. And our Heavenly Father wants us to know that as well. But the deal is, He's not dead. And we can say, well, Jesus died for us, and absolutely, that's absolutely true. But the deal is, Jesus isn't dead. But God still wants us to know, through his scriptures, we know that he wants us to know that he loves us. That he loves us. His son is risen. His son is dead. I mean, his son is risen from the dead, and he will live forever. But let's look at some scriptures real quickly. Let's us know. And just a few scriptures out of so many that let us know that God loves us. 1 John 4, 16. So we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know and we believe it. God is love. Whoever abides or lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. God abides in him. And we have Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may depart. And the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on us. <laughs> he wants us to know that he loves us. He wants us to know that he loves us. God wants us to know that we're broken, that we're broken. It's difficult to deliver bad news. It's difficult. And I was thinking about this idea of having to tell people some bad news, some difficult information, like we're broken. Doctors do it all the time, and they have to, and it's part of their job, unfortunately. 
So I was thinking about doctors delivering the bad news to patients who are terminal. And I read about a survey. There was a convention of oncologists or cancer doctors who got together and then they did, it, did an informal survey and approximately 60% of respondents, of those doctors who were responding, indicated that they broke bad news to patients from 5 to 20 times a month. 5 to 20 times a month. 14% more said more than 20 times a month. And so you would think that an oncologist who has to break bad news to, to patients, <clears throat> that, that they would have it down pat. But they don't. It's different every time. It's difficult for people to hear and, and for those doctors to communicate that to them. And so I found, I found this idea that, that third year med several medical schools teach their third year students this idea how to break bad news in, in, a, in a compassionate way. And there's a method called SPIKES. It stands for uh, S is setup. The correct environment. Are you sitting down? Is, uh, are we alone? Is this a private setting? Because I need to tell you something that you don't want to hear and I don't want to tell you. Perception. How are you feeling at the moment? Are you overwhelmed? Can I calm you down somehow? An invitation. Is it okay for me to share information with you that I need to share and knowledge? I want to impart some knowledge on you. I want to let you know the situation that you're in, the condition that you're in, and I want you to understand it. And then empathy. This is a key to communicating bad news to, to patients, having empathy. To feel with them. Not just feel sorry for them, but to feel with them. And you might think, well, doctors are trained to be uh, disconnected. But that's not the case. They're human, and they hurt, and they hurt for their patients when they have to tell them bad news. And finally, strategy. What will be the treatment plan? How are we going to go against this disease, against this situation, condition that you're in? How will we go about attempting to heal you, and it's us together, working together? How are we going to do that? I'm glad you all are sitting down. Because there is bad news. And this is the best place to hear it. And I hope that you're ready. I invite you to listen. And I hope you will let me tell you that the Bible says, unfortunately, that we are broken. That we're all sinners. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. We're broken. We need to understand that. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We need to understand that and have that information communicated to us in a compassionate, empathic way. And we need to understand what sin is. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness about God's laws, about God's will, about God's wishes. We break God's law when we sin, when we do something that goes against his will. And that's what we have to hear. And God loves us enough to tell us the bad news 
He has compassion on us to tell us that we are broken, that we're broken. We need to understand the consequences of breaking God's law. We need to understand simple scriptures like Ezekiel 18.20. The soul who sins shall die. And there are other scriptures that lets us know that there are consequences to breaking God's law and there are consequences to being broken. And we don't want to die in a broken state. That's the bad news. We're broken. A little bit more bad news, in a way, we, we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. When people get sick, a lot of times, and with various illnesses, they try to self-medicate. To self-medicate. There's a medicine called Latril. It was first popularized as a cancer therapy in Russia about a hundred years ago. Its trade name, its purified form is, is amiglaudin. It's an extract derived from apricot pits and other nuts from almonds and stuff. But People ingest this and they get seriously ill. And here's the reason. Because once ingested, the body produces a poison called cyanide. And it builds up in these people who are taking this medicine. And when we first realize that we're sinners. And we've broken God's laws. We may try to self-medicate. But as far as that drug is concerned, as far as that that. Remedy is concerned. Clinical studies done in the 70s and 80s showed that that drug didn't reduce, reduce malignant tumors, didn't change the size, except people got cyanide poisoning. So we try to self-medicate when we realize that we're broken. We've broken God's laws. So what do we do? Well, we think, maybe if I just do a lot of good things, maybe, maybe I'll be fixed. Maybe if I change some bad habits about myself, maybe that'll fix me. It doesn't fix us. If, we, if we've broken God's law, we're guilty of sin. And there's only one way to get fixed. Only one. We cannot do it ourselves. We have scriptures like Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. We don't do that ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. We're not powerful enough, strong enough, mighty enough. Scriptures. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave my iniquity. The iniquity of my sin. You forgave it. Only God can forgive. Only God can fix us. We need to understand that God loves us. God loves us enough to tell us that we're broken. He loves us enough to communicate to us that we can't fix ourselves. And he loves us enough to tell us, explain to us what he's done for us. Super husband. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with super husband. And you're a dud husband like I am sometimes, or a dud father. It goes like this. It's kind of imaginary, but it's an exaggeration. But sometimes it, may, it feels like this. To a super dad, super father, what did you do yesterday on Saturday? Well, I got up. I got up early and I, and I re-shingled the roof yesterday. Re-shingled the, the roof? Yeah, oh yeah, I was knocking out some, some of the things on my honeydew list. Got the, got the roof shingle. 
re-shingle. Okay. So that was yesterday. And you said you had things on your honeydew. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what else did you do, sarcastically? Well, I, I changed the engine. I replaced the engine in the car. No, really, you did. And I'm feeling, you know, and this is an exaggeration, but I'm feeling terrible at this point. Well, what else did you do? Why well, I retiled the kitchen. What else did you do? Well, I, I got the kids up and I made breakfast. You did this all before breakfast. Yeah, well, what did you do? Please don't ask me that. Uh, the, the accomplishment that I made yesterday was I breathed. That's about, I, I knocked that off my list. I breathed. <laughs> And I don't want them to ask, no, what did you do? Because I got to come up with something. And so I might say, well, I hauled, I I did some hauling that I've been needing to do. You did? Yeah, great. I did some maintenance on the car. And hopefully you won't ask what I hauled because I'm going to have to say, yeah, I got the trash can from the curb and I hauled it right up to the house. Maintenance on the car. Yeah, I, I went and got gas in the car. Woo! But I tell you what, if that husband put the list down and played this game of what did you do to his wife, he can lay down the list and it can have a hundred big things on it and his wife will win because she can lay down her list and say with one thing on it. And what's her thing? I carried a human being in me until they became the size of a watermelon, seedless watermelon, and I gave birth to it. What did you do? But you think about what God has done. And a super mom, wife, super father, dad. Oh man, you play that game. What have you done? What have you done? And he'll win every time. He'll win every time. What's God done? Well, he gave his only son. No one can say that. He gave his only son. What they can't say, they might be able to say that in a way. What they can't say is, I gave my only son who was God. Why? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us and he wants us to know what he's done. And he gave us his son. And 1 John 4, 9 and 10, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, that word manifest, it appeared. It was made known to us. It was made visible to us. What was that? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Have you ever done that? No, not at all. Who did it? God. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, a payment, a ransom for our sins. You know, that, that word manifest, it's, it's, it's appearing. It's allowing us to see something. And so when you think about what God has done, that is his appearing of his love for us. That is what God's love looks like. What God's love looks like. What he's done for us. He's provided a way for us to be to be fixed. We're broken and he's provided a way through his son for us to be fixed by providing a savior. Romans 5, 7, and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that we were still sinners. While we were still broken, Christ died for us. While While we were broken. 
Wow. Can you beat that? Can you top that? Not at all. Not even close. Because I couldn't do it. I couldn't offer someone in, in order for me to be fixed. I can't, can't do that on my own. That's what he has done for us. So we've heard that God loves us. We've heard that we're sin, that we're broken. We've heard that we can't fix ourselves. We've heard what God want, what God has done for us, and that's what God wants us to know. But He also, in the in the course of getting bad news, that last S, that strategy for curing us, for fixing us, comes into play, because He wants us to know what we need to do, what we need to do with that information. What do we need to do? Well, we humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, lift you up, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. First Peter 5, 6 and 7. We humble ourselves. It's hard to admit that you're broken. It is. It's hard to admit that we have flaws. We don't want people to know about those flaws. But we, gotta have, to, we have to understand God knows. And he wants us to understand that we're broken. Why? So we can be fixed. We humble ourselves. We lower ourselves. We acknowledge that we are sinners, that we're broken, that we need help. We can't do it on our own. And so what do we do? I want to talk to you just for a, a few more moments about what the Bible says we need to do to be fixed. And these things are scriptures that let us know you want to be saved, you want to be fixed, you want to get to heaven. These are scriptures that say that. It's not my ideas, my, it's not my opinion. I just want to share these with you. What do we need to do? We need to believe. We need to believe the gospel. What's the gospel? It's good news. What's the good news? That Christ died, was buried, and he's resurrected for us so we can get to heaven. We need to believe that gospel. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And we want to please him. For whoever should draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him, those who seek him. we got to believe. John 20, 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. You might think, well, that's easy. I'm here. I believe in God. Am I okay? That's a great step. Because the Bible says you have, to, you have to believe in God. Here's an interesting idea. Repenting of sins. And I say that because Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And there's a church word. We don't use that word often out and out in the world, but it literally means you're going one direction and you turn around, literally turn around and go in the other direction. And if we're talking about our sins, the, our sinful lives, we understand that we've broken God's law, but we're heading in the wrong way. We turn around. And that's what repentance is. And God says you have to, all men everywhere. God says we have to. He commands us to do that. Confess. We, we confess our faith in Christ. A lot of people confuse repenting with confession. And a lot of people confuse confession with confession of sin. But the Bible says that in Romans 10, 10, for, the heart one, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, notice, and is saved, is saved. Interesting. 
enlightening. And we're thankful for information like that. Matthew 10, 32. Everyone who acknowledges before me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Oh, don't we want at the end of time and Jesus comes back and he takes us home and we are standing, we, we will all stand in judgment and we're standing there and, and it's time for us. And Jesus says, I acknowledge him or her because they acknowledged me while they were on the earth. Confess Christ. And then the Bible says that we need to be baptized. Galatians 3.27. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I want to put Christ on. I want to wear him. I want to be in him. I want to live like that. Why? Because that's a fixed person right there. Mark 16.16. 16, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. I want to be saved. I believe. The Bible says here's what you got to do. God wants us to know what we do with that information, and that's one of the things. Acts 2.38, Peter says to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. In other words, to be fixed. To be fixed. God loves us, and he tells us things we don't want to hear, and he tells us things that we need to hear. And he, and, he, and he speaks a love language to us. There's a book. It's been out for several years. I think it was out 20-something, 20 26 years. Someone gave it to us 27 years ago. And it's the five love languages. And it's for people in relationships, parents, uh, I mean husband, wife, parents, children, to figure out which kind of love language they're their loved one will respond to. And so acts of service is a love language. Will you do something for me? I would love it if you did. I would love it. Words of affirmation. I love you so much and you're beautiful. You're handsome. You're wonderful. Thank you because I know that you love me now. Receiving gifts. Thank you so much for thinking about me and giving me something that you need, that you feel like I need and want. Quality time. Let's just hang out. Let's just hang out. Let's be together for as much as we can and make it quality time and finally physical touch. Hugging and loving and holding hands and playing with hair, physical touch. What's God's love language? How do we express our love toward God? Well, what about, what about acts of service? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I want you to. If you love me, let me know what doing what I would like for you to do. Words of affirmation, Romans 10.10. 10, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. With the mouth one confesses. Words of affirmation. You are God. You are the one who provided saved. You are, you are all loving. You are almighty. You are all powerful. You are my Father in heaven. Words of affirmation. Receiving gifts. Romans 12.1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Present your bodies. Give him you as a gift, as a sacrifice. Quality time, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Talk to him as much as you can. Spend as much as you time, of your time as you can talking to him, being with him. Physical touch, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will, God will, wipe away, touch them. And death shall be no more. Talking about when we get to heaven, he will touch, wipe away our tears with his hand. No pain anymore. No more mourning. Just getting touched. Getting held. Getting loved on.
And so the question as we end this time together, looking at the scriptures about what God wants us to do, have to ask this question. Are we ready to communicate our love to the Father? Christians, have you been doing that? Have you been letting him know how much you love him by your, by your acts of service, by, by letting him know how wonderful? Have you been doing that? And if you haven't, then this is a time as we offer the invitation. And what this means if you're visiting with us, when I say invitation, it's, it's a time that you can let us know that, you, that you're weak as a Christian, that you've been struggling and you need prayers. And so this is an expedient time to let us know about that. As a Christian, there are some people here who are not Christians, who are not in Christ, who haven't done the things that God has told them to do. Once they get that information about the situation, the state that they're in. And so if you haven't done that, but you now you know what you need to do, if you've been studying with someone, let us know and we will go through the process. Of getting you into Christ once you decide to do that. And there might be some people here who are here for the first time. And I remember when I first started going to church when I was 19, when I really got serious about it, 19 or 20, and, and I, I didn't understand what was going on. I, I didn't understand what I needed to do, and I needed someone to study with me. So if you're in that situation, you need someone to study, we will be so willing to study with you. But we invite you to come, and any other need that can be met, we invite you to come and let us know now as we stand and as we sing.